This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and it seems like oh, more than ever there's been a rise in suicide. And, and we often ask ourselves, why is that? Today on How We See It, we'll look at some of the triggers and remind you that there is help. Our guest on this segment is Clara Reynolds, the president and CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. She's been a guest with us uh, a number of times before. Clara, always good to talk to you. John, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and your amazing listeners. Hey, you got some good news. I just got a press release today. Accreditation. Yeah, tell us about that. Yes. So we were just accredited with the Council on Accreditation. This is the gold standard, if you will, for nonprofit human service organizations in the country and internationally. So we are very excited to once again receive this certification. And it really lets the community know that we are the strong stewards of public funds, that we do what we say we're going to do, and we are meeting our mission every single day. Well, I know you're an operation that, you know, this is going to sound bad when I say it or or sound kind of funny, but uh, you're a growing organization. We are. You're right, John. We are. And and I hate to say that because that means more and more people are in trouble, and yet you're helping to answer the need. Talk about your growth and how that's come about. Yeah, thank you, John, for that opportunity. And I want to say that that we are reaching more people in need, uh, that they're finally recognizing that there are resources available. And we've been very fortunate this year. We have partnered with the Department of Children and Families to launch a first responder resource line. And so we have first responders answering a phone line here and in several of our other counties. We also provide additional resources and support to first responders and their families who are in crisis or are suicidal. We've also expanded in providing another resource to our community through the Let's Talk line, and that's really helping individuals that have maybe some mild or moderate behavioral health or crisis types of symptoms, but they don't know where else to turn, so we've been able to provide those supports in addition to what we're calling behavioral health urgent care. For those individuals that can't get in to see a therapist quickly but need immediate relief, we can provide that through teletherapy as well as telepsychiatry. So this is a wonderful resource in our community. And then we will be opening a second sexual assault site in November, hopefully crossing our fingers. So we will be able to have two locations in our very large county to provide uh, sexual assault exams for individuals who have been raped in our community. Now, you you mentioned the county. Does that just cover uh, Hillsborough County? Is it all of Tampa Bay? Yeah, so we were able to cover Hillsborough County for those sexual assault exams. Everything else, though, is Tampa Bay. So we are really thrilled to be able to offer that level of resource and support. Okay, the the number that you talked about, the one of them was one eight four four U O K. That's Y O U O K A Y. Just follow the numbers, the the letters on your phone, or one eight four four nine six eight six five two nine. That's one eight four four nine six eight six five two nine. And four hours a day, seven days a week. And let me ask you this, because we get calls here at Spirit FM too. Uh, on our prayer line where people will call, they're in desperate need of assistance, and sometimes we can direct them to Catholic Charities or Metropolitan Ministries for physical needs uh, like rent or um, housing, but there are some that are we know that are mentally disturbed. Does a radio station like ourselves or maybe an individual who's listening knows that a neighbor or a friend is in trouble, can we 
call on their behalf and say, hey, can you reach out to this person? Or does the individual have to call that 211 number themselves? That's a wonderful question, John, and we get that asked all the time. We encourage anybody in our community, if you're struggling with any kind of behavioral health issue or you have a friend or loved one who you're concerned about and you're just you want to know what resources you can offer, or maybe you're ready to take the next step. Maybe you're ready to have that conversation with that family member, friend, or loved one, and you want to make sure you've got your phone ready because one of the programs we didn't talk about was the launching of a brand new number, 988, that went July alive on July 16th, and that is the new three-digit suicide prevention hotline. And so certainly, you know, during September, as you said, being Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, if somebody out there notices that a friend or family member is struggling, maybe you've got that little niggling in your belly that tells you that something's not right, and you really want to be able to ask that person, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you suicidal? It would be wonderful for you to have your phone right there so that you can call 988 together to get help and support during a a very pivotal moment in somebody's life. You asked a question just then. It's hard for a friend or someone to say, are you suicidal? I mean, that's a scary question to ask. And is it something that we should just throw out there for people? I mean, or or do you just go by what your gut's telling you to ask the question to your friend? I think that's another great question, and I think that the piece is that you're going to want to look for some warning signs. If you have a friend or a family member who has talked in the past about being suicidal, they are experiencing extreme behavioral changes. They've experienced some sort of big trauma in their life lately, and it is really causing them a significant impact in their day-to-day world. And again, if your gut's telling you that something's not right, you're worried about this person, you always want to err on the side of caution, John. And one of the myths that is out there, that if you use the word suicide, you're going to somehow magically implant this idea in somebody's head. And that is absolutely a myth. When you utilize that word suicide, you're doing two really important things. You are first recognizing that somebody is hurting, that somebody is feeling an intense pain, you're seeing that and you're te- you're actually telling them, I'm seeing your pain, I'm seeing you hurting. And also by using that word suicide, you're saying, and I'm a, I'm a safe place where you can talk to me about this. I can help you get to the resources you need. So utilizing that word suicide is one of the most important things we can do with a family member, friend, loved one that we're concerned about. I saw a statistic here that said suicide is the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 and 34 years old. Yes, sir. What Scary, is what it? is what is the deal with that? Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, during this COVID post-COVID crisis, if you will, if we ever really can get there, we recognize that isolation and separation from friends and family members the losses, the physical losses that people experience through losing loved ones, but also the secondary losses, the loss of experiences, the loss of traditions, the loss of um, jobs, the loss of family time has had an incredible impact across our you know, across the spectrum. And I think that one of the most recent things that we have seen come out just this week is a recommendation that Every, every person under the age of 65 should be evaluated for um, anxiety. And I believe that is the result of this behavioral health tsunami that we are seeing post-COVID-19. 
you know, I went to the doctor here a couple of months ago for my physical, and they they did ask me some, I would call it a mental health screening without them saying it was a mental health screening. Uh, they were asking questions about my sleep habits. Do I feel uh, anxiety certain times? Do I feel like uh, nobody listens to me? These, these kind of odd questions that I wouldn't normally get. Are physicians, family practitioners doing more of that these days? Absolutely. You know, I believe that they are looking at the whole person, not just from the neck down. Um, You think about every time, I'll just speak for myself, every time I go to the doctor, there are some standard evaluations. I always get my temperature checked. I always get my blood pressure checked, uh, my pulse oxygen level checked, everything below the neck. But we've never really focused above the neck to do these just screenings. And it is amazing when a doctor, this trusted medical professional, somebody you come to and you, and you really give them this license to, to take control of your health, when they recognize how important it is to talk about what's going on in the head, screening for depression, screening for anxiety, screening for suicide, they are doing that through those questions and, and those evaluations. And I think it's going to be a huge game changer. And, John, I also believe it's one of the reasons why more and more people are reaching out for help than ever before because before they just thought maybe it was a weakness on their part. Maybe they just needed to, you know, suck it up, buttercup, so to speak. Yeah. But they recognize that they need help, and it's okay to ask for help. We're talking with Clara Reynolds, who's the president and CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. You mentioned some of the telltale signs. I I was tight with a friend for a while, and uh, you know I went to visit, and he went through some trauma, and I noticed his house was a lot more disheveled. He's not keeping up with his personal appearance. He always seems to be sleeping in. He looks like he's depressed. Yeah. Do I call or do I encourage him to call the nine eight eight number or the two one one number? Yes, I would have that. What you call the uncomfortable conversation of just saying you know, friend, I'm worried about you. Being very genuine and very real in that moment with that individual, I'm worried about you. This is not who you usually are. And this is, and and so I'm concerned. How can I help you? How can I get you connected to resources and supports? Can we call 211 or 988 together? I think that again is so very important. Again, that somebody is just recognizing, seeing, that a friend, a family member, a loved one is struggling, acknowledging that struggle and then offering help. It can be a, it's, it's magical. It's magical to watch it happen. You know, I think a person, and I'm just speaking for myself here, I think when the person verbalizes that they're having issues to another person, that's somewhat opening up because we're, we're so vulnerable. We don't want to open yeah. ourselves up. But when somebody steps out to a friend or a loved one and says, I feel like I'm going through some some hard times. That's when the rubber meets the road and and maybe a call needs to be made. Are there other signs that we can look for from our friends that maybe might trigger that we need to watch them a little more closely? Certainly. And you talked a lot about those signs, John. You know, the change in appearance, the change in their the way that they manage their household. You know, maybe they're starting to give away prized possessions. Maybe they start talking about, you know, I'm wondering, I'm really wondering, you know, if if things would be better off if I wasn't here. Or I'm really considering, you know, maybe what I'm going to do with this animal of mine. Would you be interested in taking this animal? I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. 
those could all be, again, signs of that somebody is really struggling and is contemplating suicide. I saw a story the other day about an individual who I'm assuming fell from the garage at USF. I don't know what happened. I know that other people have committed suicide through various means on campus there. Why is it so prevalent with young adults and students of that, you know, 18 to 30? Yeah, and that's a great question. I think that the there are a few things that we know are impacting that age group specifically. Transitions are always a vulnerable time for any individual. And these transitions from home to independence, from, you know, a high school environment to the college environment is very stressful. Uh, there are also other stressors in an individual's life. You know, there may be monetary stressors. There may be health stressors. And we think about our young people who, because of COVID, many of them did not get to experience natural adversity that would happen in a school setting where you had to navigate difficult relationships, where you had to navigate a lot of stressful requirements. And so they get placed in these settings and many of them are really struggling and they don't know where to turn or how to get help. And so that is why, you know, we are focusing at the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay very much from on, you know, working with and providing some information about resources that will be available. For instance, we have signage on all the Bull Runner buses about the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay and calling 211. We're working very closely with some of the colleges to make sure that we are providing additional resources, working with school police to be able to offer any additional services and supports to really try to wrap around our student body because we do know it's such a vulnerable time in a normal time like pre-COVID and right now we know that many students are extremely vulnerable. With your growth, I know that you're looking for help. Are there job opportunities available at the Crisis Center? Yes, please. If anybody has a passion for our mission, which is to ensure that no one has to face crisis alone, please go to crisiscenter.com. On our website, you're going to learn everything about what we do, including all of the employment opportunities that we have available. And if any of your very generous listeners would like to support the organization, uh, we certainly have that on our website. And you can also sign up for a tour. Many people don't can't even conceptualize what we do until they see it. So we'd like to invite any of your listeners who want to come and see the work that we do. We're available to do tours whenever it's convenient for them. What's the national number one more time, the Bay Area number, and any other numbers that we need to know? Yeah, because it's Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, I really want to push John 988. 988 is the new three-digit number for anyone who is suicidal or in crisis. You can call that number 24 hours a day seven days a week, and be connected to somebody that's going to help you get you from where you are right now to a positive place tomorrow. Clara Reynolds, the president and CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, has been our guest today, and that's how we see it. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome to another edition of How We See It. I'm John Morris, and today I want to welcome two ladies who are involved with a group that I just recently found out about. 
It's called Catholic Daughters of America. I want to welcome Kathy Brady, who's the state regent for Catholic Daughters of America. Kathy, thanks for coming today. Thank you so much for having us. And also want to welcome Delia Fennell, who is the State Daughters District Deputy right here in the Bay Area and the membership chair for the uh, Catholic Daughters of America. Thank you both for coming in today. Tell me, Kathy, who are the Catholic Daughters of America? The Catholic Daughters of America is the oldest Catholic women's organization in the United States. They were founded in 1903 in Utica, New York. And they actually were founded by the Knights of Columbus. And they were called the Daughters of Isabella way back when. And then eventually they grew away from the Knights of Columbus and became their own organization. So we are the largest Catholic organization of women for charity in the whole world. Now, at my parish, I have heard of the Columbiettes, who are, I guess, the the spouses of the Knights of Columbus, and they uh, have their own events and so forth as well. Mm -hmm. Are they tied in at all, or is that a separate separate group? They are a separate mm -hmm, organization. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you were founded in the early 1900s. What was the purpose? Charity? Actually, back then it was for charity, and and also it was for social reasons. Many of your women back then were tied to the house, so their only way of getting out of the house was to probably be involved in charity work as well as attend, you know, mass. But at the same time, they also needed that social outing. And so part of it started as just being a social group, to play cards, to play whatever kind of things that they would do back then. Right. You touched on something, Kathy, and I want to bring uh, Delia in because um, membership is key to these groups. And you know, my mother, who, you know, is a baby boomer, she spent probably 40 years, 50 years in an organization called Beta Sigma Phi, yep. which mm-hmm. is a, a, a lay group, mm-hmm. of a sorority mm-hmm. that um, right. does social and charitable works. She has said that the organization is starting to die because, as you said, the sociological uh, changes in our in our environment where women aren't home anymore. They're not tied to the house anymore, and they have other social outlets In your role as membership chair, how do you overcome that kind of thing, Delia? Well, we try to encourage them to get younger members by maybe having your meetings in the evening, running it around women that can, you know, they're usually in other organizations and they come in and they're, you know, they want to do something for their parish, their um, state, their national. But how we get around it is we encourage them to start in the evening meetings because Parents work. Everybody works these days. So that's how we're working, you know, to do that. Sure. So on a typical meeting, how often do you meet as a a group? Once a month. um, We go dark two months out of the year, but we meet once a month. And then we have other functions that we may come together on that people, because not everybody can make a meeting, but they want to do a fundraiser or they want to, you know, participate in some type of a charity event that we're holding. So it starts out at the national level, goes to the state level, and then local. Are they tied to a parish, per se, or to a deanery? And you mentioned in our pre-interview something called courts. They are not tied to a parish because we are an individual organization. Typically, we work with the parish that we're mostly involved with, and a lot of the people are the parishioners there, but you don't have to be a parishioner of that particular church. You can be from any Catholic church, and we have that. We have courts that do that, that the people come from other churches that don't actually have a Catholic daughter affiliation. Okay. Kathy, how does mm-hmm. this differ? 
from the diocesan council of catholic women or, i have to think about that because i don't know a whole lot about the, the diocese the dioc- dccw yes yeah. I, I really don't know a lot i do know that my first vice regent for the state is a member of that also okay so she is able to kind of come back and tell us what some of the things they do but my understanding is that the ccw does a lot within the church area not so much outside the church where we are more in involved in the community so we serve the the charities that are in our local communities okay um we may for example um go to the trinity cafe and serve lunch we may also hand out homeless bags for like uh personal items for the homeless in our community sure those kinds of things i i don't know a lot about the ccw to tell Uh you whether or not if they do those things too sure how does somebody get involved? I mean, uh, Delia, you had said you're, you're trying to recruit younger people. Right. I have not seen this advertised in a lot of parish bulletins where a lot of Catholic women are. So mm-hmm. how do you get the word out besides here at Spirit FM? Well, first we contact different churches and ask them if we can put things in their bulletins. Some of them are very open to it. Some of them are not. We don't want people to think that we're going to hawk other organizations within the church. We are almost the equivalent of the Knights of Columbus. We're a ministry, but we're not a ministry. We, ho- we carry our own money. We take care of our own funds and stuff like that, which I believe the NCCW, that monies are controlled by the diocese or their parish. So that's what you know we do there. But that's pretty much how we are trying to get into bulletins. We are trying all our marketing, and that's why we've actually came to you <laughs> sure do, now do y'all you, you have endorsement by the diocese that you operate in yes yes, yes. we have to be absolutely okayed by the bishop sure and we are in this diocese you know i know that some organizations will have a a priest who's like the chaplain for the group mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. have that yes. our state chaplain is father ed lamp oh okay i know father mm-hmm. ed yep. sure and then each one of our courts have their own chaplain Okay. So our chaplain ha- happens to be, for our court, Mother Teresa, we happen to have Father Theo Warrior. Okay. So who, who is at St. Joseph's with us and now is in so, Clearwater. So what is the court? Now, you just said that again. The court the is... The court are your local organizations of Catholic daughters. We're broken down in the courts. So would the court be the Tampa Bay area being one court and then... Or is that two? No, we in the in the state of Florida we have seven courts. Okay. So on the east side of Florida we have Saint Augustine, which is our oldest court. We have Star of the Sea, which is in Key West, and then we have one right in the middle, Jensen Beach. So those are our three on the east side, and it just so happens that the other courts are right here in our Tampa Bay area. Okay. We have Saint John Vianney, which is out on Saint Pete Beach. We have St. Vincent de Paul, which is in Newport Ritchie. We have us in, in Zephyr Hills, Mother Teresa. And then we also have one, Court Chestahova, up in the villages. You mentioned you want more younger younger ladies, but it, 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 do you find that it's more of the 50 and older crowd? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think it's, at least through our court, it's by word of mouth. The nice thing for us is we don't meet at our church. We meet at our women's club down the the road. And so when we put on our things like we're getting ready to do a bunco pretty soon, when we put those on, that's how we usually find a lot of people that are are Catholics that didn't know about us. Um, We also have our own website. We have the Florida website, and it's called floridacda.com. Florida CDA, that's Florida Catholic Daughters of America. Yes. Mm -hmm. And where's the national group? Still out of Utica? Uh, actually, they are in New York City, New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if someone wants to sign up locally, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. How do they get a hold of you? They can either go to our website and see where all our courts are, and they can contact the courts. My name and my number and my email are on that website as well. So is Delia's. And all of our court uh, regents and all of our state officers are on that. And you mentioned a couple of the parishes um, here in the Bay Area that you could yes. potentially reach out to Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. It's basically a sisterhood is what mm-hmm. Catholic Daughters is. And the thing that's nice, if you're in, let's say, New York, and you know there's a Catholic Daughter organization in that area, and you can go to their meetings. It's open to all of us. And it makes you understand your faith more, and, and it brings you with women that have the same faith values that you have. You, you did mention uh, social outreach and, mm-hmm. and uh, community mm-hmm. service. Do you mm-hmm. do, get into the faith and do Bible study or yes. do a series of talks on a certain topic? We'll have retreats every once in a while. One of us will host a retreat. When we go to the national convention, we have time to put in that spirituality. We do that every time we have a court meeting anyway. But there is nothing like going to a national convention where you have Catholic daughters from 45 states plus Guam plus um, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And you have close to 3,000 Catholic women, very similar to the women's conference you just had, only sure. just multiply that more. Right. And you will see the, the spirituality come out and the sisterhood come out. It's amazing. It's right. totally awesome. And that website, one more time for someone who may want to sign up. Mm-hmm. FloridaCDA.com. Kathy Brady and Delia Fennell have been our guests today on this edition of How We See It. Thank you so Thank much. You. For a copy of this program and others, visit MySpiritFM.com slash How We See It.